The year began with the announcement that Lisa Marie Presley would be filing for divorce from pop star Michael Jackson. <laughs> We're not keeping this. Uh, this is oh, yeah. rough, <laughs> unfortunately. I mean, we... I kind of wanted to do a soft intro, just a yeah. casual, you know. Oh, are we recording? <laughs> True. Oh, shit. We're recording. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, we always Eddie, know. D- d- don't release this. <laughs> uh, welcome to Extended Clip, episode 28. I'm Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. And by the time you're hearing this, we're gone, baby. <laughs> if you're hearing this, it's too late. <laughs> uh, the boys have been separated uh, by the time you're hearing this. And uh, JT, you're, you're going back to Philly, is that right? Yeah, I'm back in uh, PA um, until the 28th. And uh, Malcolm, are you also going home? Yeah, I'm going, going to Watsonville. So if you live in Watsonville, hit me up. <laughs> and i'm going to my ancestral home of europe <laughs> uh no I'm, I'm going away too so we're, we're stacking uh, and mm-hmm. th- these next handful of episodes are gonna let's just say break tradition yeah no you know i know holidays are a time for tradition but we'll give you this gift of breaking it <laughs> <laughs> and you know what the best holiday tradition is right oh yeah the sugar plums I was going to say the year-end lists. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I love... You know what? We should do a list. On we this should episode. do a list of the best movies of the year. Right? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, the, the the year. Okay, cool. So, um, which year are you guys thinking? <sighs> uh, I can't. There's so many years. No, it's no. almost like we need a number randomizer. Uh, yeah. See, if there's anything that I'm trying to b- bring to the podcast now, I'm trying to get random. <laughs> I'd love to. I'd love to get random. I think that shit's just like fucked up sometimes. So I'd love to bring that to the podcast. So what we're gonna do is choose a date between um let's see the first of January nineteen seventy and the thirty first of December nineteen ninety nine. Now what we're gonna do right here is we're gonna hop into the uh the time machine, you know, <laughs> Avengers Endgame style. <laughs> D- the TARDIS. Uh <laughs> Doctor Who for the, the TARDIS fans out there. The DeLorean. DeLorean. Um <laughs> the HG Wells, the time machine. You guys seen that movie Primer? Actually, no, I haven't. Me neither. Yeah, we'll do this like <laughs> click style, like where you, you can go back to the past, see it that way. Yeah. And we're doing it. Uh, my favorite website of all time, random.org. <laughs> Damn. Click is a time machine. I just realized that. The click remote. Yeah. It's a time machine. I mean, but it's only to, like, I guess, <laughs> when you were alive. <laughs> True. <laughs> it's what we call POV time machine. <laughs> POV yeah. time machine. <laughs> POV VR time machine. So uh, let's let's hit this little, let's get the date. What date are we going back to, boys? We are going back to Saturday, the 30th of November. 1996. Wow. Oh, 96. It's That's 1996. <laughs> President Clinton is, you know, just doing his thing in the privacy of his own home. <laughs> yeah. Who am I? The government should stay out of bedrooms. <laughs> and that means the president shouldn't have sex. Well, we are going to uh, take a little adjustment break. You know, it, it's like jet lag. You know, we're, we're mm-hmm. in 1996 now and we need to get adjusted to the air. So, yeah. so we're going to go outside and look at like the letter boxed in the sky and uh, we'll be right back on extended clip on january 23rd president bill clinton delivered a state of the union address which was interrupted by numerous standing ovations house speaker newt gingrich was conspicuous in his lack of support ah that was a lot of fun boys uh we had a nice time walking around in the 90s and we're here we're at the multiplex 
It's Saturday, November 30th, 1996. You know, I could stay home and watch some afternoon basketball. I could watch that young rookie, Kobe Bryant, <laughs> see what he's up to. Future Oscar winner, Kobe Bryant. Future <laughs> sex criminal, yeah. Kobe Bryant. And sex criminal, you know. Do you but we don't know about that yet. It's <laughs> uh, 1996. Uh, uh, yeah. So let's let's go and see what's at the multiplex right now. <laughs> I don't want to think about that. Let's just go to the yeah, movies. Let's, oh, fuck it. Uh, on this great November 30th day, uh, new releases. We got The Crucible, A Leap of Faith, and Ridicule. Mm. And uh, holding over from, from previous weeks, got 101 Dalmatians, Star Trek First Contact, Sling Blade, uh, The English Patient, Space Jam, Breaking the Waves, and last but not least, Jingle All the Way. Wow. What do you guys want to go see? Um, wow. I guess I've only seen one of those movies. So is it speak. Jingle All the Way? No, it isn't. It's, Which one uh, is it? Well, you know me. It's I'm the edgy one from the podcast, so you know it's Lars von Trier's movie, <laughs> Breaking the Waves. Oh um, man, are you are you a big Lars von Trier fan? I I like his stuff generally. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think he's fun. I'm I'm the same way. I like I can fuck with him. I've yeah. and I've also seen. I think yeah, I think Breaking the Waves is the only one of the bunch. I let's go for a rewatch. Yeah, you know <laughs> I am gonna leave you guys there. <laughs> you guys can hang out at you know the Lemley uh, fucking NoHo and watch the import film. <laughs> I. I'm going to get down with a classic all-American movie star. I'm going <laughs> to check out Jingle All the Way. I want that would be my second choice cuz I've heard I've heard people talk it up and it, it seems like a good amount of fun. So, you know, maybe you know, we like to do double features here on this podcast. Maybe I'll uh, program <laughs> myself a nice highbrow lowbrow in the old year of 96. <laughs> well, now that we're in 96 and um, you know, we saw Jingle all the way, and it was very fun. <laughs> yeah, we had so much yeah. fun. <laughs> Arnold, he's so fun. I still, the kids. I still haven't seen a Lars von Trier film other than uh, in 20 years when I'll watch the Matt Dillon one. That so, was your first one? Interesting. Yeah, it's years the only one I've seen. Weird. Yeah, it's the only one I will have seen as a 25-year-old boy. Uh, still <laughs> yeah, not yet now, a man. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm one year old, <laughs> fresh out of seeing Breaking yeah. the Waves and Jingle All the Way. Yeah. Um, so let's take a look at our favorite films of 1996. You know, we, we have some, we have some heavy hitters here and, you know, it's kind of like a, uh, you don't know what you got till it's gone type scenario mm-hmm. about the cinema of 2019, our modern day. You look at what you got, you know, you got the Disney monopoly, you got the fun A24 teen movies, <laughs> You got the great Netflix masterpieces mm-hmm. such as Marriage Story, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and then you go back to 1996. What are these real movies that are shot on celluloid? I, yeah. I don't know about this shit, you guys. James and the Giant Peach? Flirting with Disaster? Ricky Jay and his 52 assistants? Damn. You know, another movie that came out this year, you guys ever seen Fear starring Mark Wahlberg? I've never seen that, no. no. That is a great scene where... Um, I think it's Reese Witherspoon is the, yeah, Reese Witherspoon is the female interest. Nice. Eventually, Mark Wahlberg uh, stalks her. I forgot how it ends. It's a good <laughs> it's a good movie. But, uh, uh, you know, before he's a stalker, uh, they're, you know, they're dating, and there's an infamous scene where Mark Wahlberg uh, fingers Reese Witherspoon on a <laughs> roller coaster, <laughs> and uh, that's how she falls for him. 
Damn, I can't believe I missed that one while it was that, in the multiplex. Yeah, I, we'll have to stroll down to Blockbuster yeah. and uh, get a copy. Fuck and that, man. You know those big corporations, they're going to take <laughs> over the video <laughs> industry, man. We got to yeah. ce- we got to celebrate our local flavor. Yeah, and if you compare that to another 96 movie, Crash, you you, you see some similar themes there. And, and I think we're going to talk about yeah, Crash yeah. on our best of list. Is that Yeah, correct? yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to yeah, get yeah, ahead of yeah, ourselves, of course, but yeah. that's a very uh, Crash-esque yeah. sex scene. Um, you know what the worst movie I watched this year was? What? I, and I hate to say it, but it, it might be Suburbia, the Richard Linklater film. Damn, I've and never he, seen that. He's a guy I like. His last couple movies, you know, Before Sunset, it's cool because I'm a baby right now, so it's <laughs> immaturity <laughs> matches mine. Yeah. Uh, and Slacker, you know, for me, ahead of my time, you know, I'll like it more when I'm in college. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but Slacker's incredible. But Suburbia, man, he really, that's like the first B-side of his that just fucking sucks, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of his B-sides are good, but the ones that are more, rooted in theater like the filmed plays and i can see where yeah. he's going he's kind of trying to do altman in the 80s where he does all those filmed plays because that's what he can be expressive with and still be commercial uh he fails miserably at suburbia and tape his other terrible film uh with ethan hawk and it's like a, a mini dv uh play that takes place in a in a bungalow outside of film festival huh that sounds like good it could premise, be good. right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Him experimenting with early digital, it sucks. Damn, damn. That's disappointing. It's like, yo, let's see what happens if I put the camera upside down. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? You know what my least favorite of '96 is, and I'm looking at this year. I do I have enjoyed a lot of this stuff, or haven't revisited it? I mean, I'm not going to say Nutty Professor. That probably still holds up, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a fan of Heart Eight. I really dis- oh that new filmmaker yeah. from my hometown of Reseda, <laughs> yeah, Thomas uh, Anderson. This Resedian uh, filmmaker. Um, Hard Eight. Hard Eight. I really I watched this recently and I really just reacted to it like very negatively. Like yeah. it just it really just rubbed me the wrong way. Of it's like I don't know, just as amateurness. Uh, yeah. Like it felt like it felt like this sounds so like this sounds so fucking like self-serving on my part but i was just like damn like i could have made this movie like, <laughs> that's, that's that's how i felt while watching it and that's 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 probably not true but like if you know i don't know if that thought enters my head i don't know maybe i'm just being harsh but yeah it was not not good and it has a lot of people i like in it i mean samuel L. jackson john c Riley, um philip baker hall you mean all the all the regulars all the likable yeah no uh that first philip seymour hoffman role it's only one scene and it's like a s- total show stealer in that movie mm-hmm, totally um but yeah paul is definitely working through some tarantinian uh yeah. <laughs> ripoff ability and like it's gonna take him a little bit to mature mm-hmm. even though boogie nights is like a very strangely singular masterpiece of pastiche yeah uh it's gonna take him a while to come into his own yeah. true yeah and i think i think we said on the episode we recorded earlier not to go 99 but magnolia even like magnolia i don't like as much but there's still some like scenes that stand out as like really great to me but uh like hard there's like i felt like there was nothing there for me hard eight so that's a that's a hard one <laughs> for me uh jt i i have a couple questions about this movie year for you yeah okay so i'm gonna start with i know okay. i know you're a bit of an intellectual I am an intellectual, yes. So, I pride myself on that. Do you keep up with the work of public intellectual Spalding Gray? Um, no, I'm oh. not. I, I do. I have not kept up with the work of public intellectual Spalding Gray. Well, you know, so there's this. There's this. I guess now he's kind of already a veteran, seven years into his career. This guy, Steven Soderbergh, a young mm-hmm. guy. He's already made a couple classics, in my humble opinion, in Sex Lies and Videotape, mm-hmm. uh, and. 
Oh, I guess that's his only classic so far. But King of the Hill is quite good. Uh, and I have a feeling that Out of Sight is going to be quite good. <laughs> Can't wait to see that movie. Well, there's another film that that fellow made this year, uh, Schizopolis. And I happen to really have yeah. enjoyed that one. Oh, I yeah? dig it. Yeah. Oh, man. I drank such a big freaking soda at the movies that I have to go pee. <laughs> <laughs> but a large a large back then compared to what I think a large will be in the future yeah. is nothing. But nonetheless, you still have to go. Unless those freaking stinking bureaucrats get in the way and tax my soda. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that never happens to me, the New Yorker. <laughs> the threat of scandal still loomed over the White House, however, as First Lady Hillary Rodham Clinton faced new charges over her role in the Whitewater affair. Fuck. I'm always turning the flashlight of my phone Same. on accidentally, Same. and I feel like a fucking 80-year-old man. Dude, you gotta hide that fucking cell phone. If anyone sees it, we're burned. <laughs> oh, fuck. They're gonna know we're from the future. <laughs> oh, no. No, I'll just say it's like a fucking Game Boy. You could just say it's a flashlight. Yeah, it's a flashlight yeah. that I carry yeah, around. That's true. Um, so before we get into our top 10, our 10 films curated by extended clip remembers the 90s <laughs> uh, uh we're gonna talk about a couple of the things that happened this year that we were very appreciated of mm-hmm. <laughs> we appreciated it then, huh? we appreciated it today <laughs> yeah. by the way so we got here in november we've hung out here till december but yeah. like all we've been doing is catch up on our cultural homework of January yeah. to October of this year. We've been in the the underworlds of uh, underground blockbusters and yeah. uh, underground cinema movements of 1996. I've been hanging out at the blockbuster on Satakoy and Louise, which is definitely still there, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I, I really hope in the future. Oh, wait, I just remembered. It's not. Damn. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Who knows what the future will hold <laughs> yeah, as, no. as members of 1996. Um, but, yeah. but also, we know the future, too. Some of it. True. Speaking of the future, uh, I saw a debut film this year. A young Korean filmmaker by the name of Hong Sang-soo. His debut feature is uh, The Day the Pig Fell Into the Well. And, you know, there's something about this guy. (laughs) Uh, I gotta say, uh, revisiting this film, you know, even just like looking through it and recalling it after going through Hong's work, it's so strange because formally, you know, like he's still there. His sense of composition is so there and his reliance on two shots is there, you know. Uh, but it's like he's a quote-unquote normal filmmaker for a couple scenes. You know, there's some shot reverse shots. Mm-hmm. There's some, like, tracking movement. There's some movement beyond the pan and zoom. And, you know, he wouldn't go on to zoom until, like, 2003, I believe it is, with uh, Woman is the Future of Man. But this guy Hong's got it in him. And uh, <laughs> he's, he's someone to look out for in the future. Yeah, that you, you that'd been great if you you know you go back to '96 and then you just bet on on all these filmmakers to have a career. You'd be like, watch out for this guy and yeah. this guy. And this guy. <laughs> be a, a soothsayer. Put yeah. my money on Hong being an art house <laughs> classic in 20 years. Then yeah. you'll be rich by 2019. <laughs> yeah, it's the your only back person to the future, to ever like get book. rich off Hong Sang Soo. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is my Back to the Future book. Sorry yeah. for talking over you. No, it's okay. <laughs> Um, have you guys been enjoying any uh, like television this year? Uh, probably. I think Simpsons are good at this time, right? Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, season eight. Oh, okay. They're still yeah. at it. That's that's when uh, I I know the season openers and the season opener, the conclusion of Burns getting getting murked. Yeah. Whoa. Oh, we, we've yeah. been talking about it all off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
on the playground <laughs> all summer long <laughs> all summer long but there's something about this eighth season of the simpsons you know it feels like the beginning of the end <laughs> yeah this run this can't go on forever yeah i mean yeah. it was still like a masterpiece like three through seven but you know mm-hmm. it feels like nine's gonna suck yeah you know? i love going in between pretending i'm actually in <laughs> and having hindsight well but, like i don't know about you guys i really don't like this absurdist like weird i like observational comedy <laughs> so i've been watching a lot of the show seinfeld oh. <laughs> it's like i think it's hitting its stride now in 96 probably yeah like what i think se- it's I think it's season six. Yeah, and you know, for the last couple of years, Seinfeld has been my favorite sitcom on the air. However, a challenger has appeared. One of my favorite <laughs> characters <laughs> from the old sitcom Cheers has yeah. uh, really blossomed into his own sitcom lead this year. Season three of Cheers just wrapped up. Mm-hmm. Nope. Season three oh. of <laughs> Season three of Frasier just wrapped up, and uh, you know it was really one for the books. I have a feeling yeah. this guy's going places. <laughs> well, yeah, me, I, I, I said you know TV earlier, but I forgot. You know, one of my great favorite TV shows, Friends. Um, I never knew life was going to be this way. <laughs> and it's so true. You knew that life was going to be this way, and um, I just love I love seeing them all in the apartment and they go to the coffee house and they get some coffee. And Maybe by the time I'm in my twenties, <laughs> I'll have an apartment. Yeah, <laughs> I can't wait to have friends. <laughs> um, well, to go back to Doctor uh, Fraser Crane, I hear that guy Kelsey Grammer is an angel on set. Oh yeah, a he, delight. <laughs> yeah, a delight who has like never been on multiple drug Doped cocktails. Up. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know One what? of the most sober men in Hollywood. You know what? You know what movie maybe he should go out and maybe check out? Is that, you know, um, just because he's never he's never doped up like that um, train spotting. You know, oh. just to see a little bit of what the lifestyle's like. Yeah. You know what I mean? Train spotting was a movie that came out this year. Train spotting came out this year. And you it, remember the monologue? It's like you could be some guy in the suburbs <laughs> or you could live life or something like that's how the movie starts out thank you for not doing a voice you know <laughs> i thought oh, you were gonna oh, do an ethnic no. voice but uh i can't do it i can only do certain ethnic uh timbers not that it's one. 1996 so we're allowed to true yeah it's, it's just like embarrassing <laughs> oh know? my god i forgot all we could do now. <laughs> oh, yeah. this is sick <laughs> <laughs> finally I, ca- I don't have to care about that stuff anymore <laughs> 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 the ultimate reactionary fantasy going yeah. back to the 90s to <laughs> say slurs. It's like skipping through a, a flower field. Um, train spotting was uh, back back when I was born in 1996. Um, you know, I watched this movie, Train Spotting. It's very influential to me as a young kid. Um, I've, I've never rewatched it because I'm pretty sure it's not going to hold up. It has a nice soundtrack, has some cool 90s techno in it. Mm-hmm. You know, we like techno. And um, I don't. I like indie rock. Indie. <laughs> I like pavement and built to spill. Built to spill. The stroke. Oh, the strokes aren't. No. Out who time. are they? <laughs> I like guided by voices guided and teenage by... fan club. Me. Yeah. I'm more. Uh, I like Underworld, Aphex Twin, and just doing fucking dope and getting fucked up every day. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's you know it's just it's cool to see a movie that glamorizes my lifestyle. Just getting <laughs> fucked up off the dope every day just till I can't see you, shit. Were you born in 1996? <laughs> no, I was not. <laughs> <laughs> I was not born in 1996. I mean, I was two, so it's not like yeah. yeah. Um, do we want to get into our top ten of the uh, top ten of the year? Sure. Yeah. Why not? So we're not going in order here. We each picked out three films that we felt very passionately about, and then one that unites us, that has us reaching across the aisle. You know. 
<laughs> reaching from the, around from the slobs <laughs> to the snobs you know well, um, we like to do that here on extended clip yeah reach around well to start <laughs> us off at number 10 uh arbitrarily because this is not ranked i'm gonna go with scream uh, ah <laughs> <laughs> a very apt description (laughs) yeah now you might be saying why is there an 112 minute movie about 80 minute movies don't you like your horror movies nice and tight eddie with just like minimal exposition and little self-awareness and mainly just brutal freaking killing (laughs) Yeah, well, don't you? I mean, <laughs> frankly, sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I say flash me a pair of tits in the first 15 minutes and then get straight to the killing. Then let me let me see that same woman get brutally killed. <laughs> 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 now that's what I want. Someone has taken their love of scary movies one step too far. And it's director Wes Craven. <laughs> Uh, no, Scream's a great movie, and it's like an instantly iconic film for a reason. It's like very self-aware and a meta text about the genre that Craven helped create. You know, so late into his career, establishing all of these or re-establishing all of these themes that he had opened up early in his career. And I think it's like a really wonderful work of genre that, like. I don't want to say it elevates it because I feel like in, I don't know, 20 years, there's going to be a really bad trend called elevated horror. And this is not that, but it is a horror movie that is effective as its own little slasher and effective as a meta text on the genre. And uh, I'd be lying if I didn't say that like opening scene wasn't as freaking frightening as any or at least as tense as anything in any of the classic slashers from the last 20 years. And by that, I mean 76 since it started. <laughs> True. Uh, you know, yeah. No, uh, speak on Scream, and I think you bring up a good point that, because um, I remember watching this movie for the first time, and I didn't really take to it. And I think it was because of the self-awareness, the meta aspect. But once you put it in perspective, it's like, well, Wes Craven kind of helped create most of the stuff in the first place. So if anyone really has agency to do something like that, it's him. So maybe... Maybe I'll go down to the multiplex. It is ninety six, and give it a give it a rewatch. Yeah, back off, haters. <laughs> uh, who wants to take number nine? Number nine. Remember that it was only thirty years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, now uh, I know you know we've been talking. Uh, what movie? Do you, yeah, Scream. Cool American movie. You know, very cool to pick a. You know, very American-centric point of view, um, very you know nationalistic. But uh, I think I'll pick something maybe a little more European, a little bit more art house, a little bit uh, you know. And it is you know, even though it's November, I still like to remember a Summer's Tale mm. by Eric Romer. Oh, or Romer. I don't know Romer. Rom. I think it's Romer, right? Uh, Ro- I I feel like we don't haven't really talked Romer on this yeah, podcast. I love at all. Ricky Romeo. He's great. <laughs> Romer's one of my favorites. Like yeah. he's he's uh he's amazing. I always do have difficulty like talk talking about him for some reason. But, well, I feel um, like it's because most of his movies are just like uh, talking. True. Yeah. yeah. It's he's like he's probably my favorite talk talking director. Like where people just talk. 
Yeah, you know, <laughs> it did remind me of that fresh young Korean filmmaker that I saw in <laughs> yeah. interview, Hong Sang Soo. Yeah, uh, Eric Romero's earlier work because I haven't seen any of his recent work, mm-hmm. uh, but his early moral tales mm-hmm. uh, yeah. were definitely a reflection of that very talky style that still keeps a very very close eye on composition at all times mm-hmm. and you know someone you know look at like link later obviously influenced by romer who's like kind of a big guy at the time but yeah but this is like later romer this is one of his maybe final five movies I've, i'm correct or it's it's down there i mean he stopped making them in 03 it's 96 at this point but this one's just as good as some of his classics um from what I remember, it you know follows this guy Gerard, and you go through uh, you know just a summer and his many lovers. It is a French movie, so you know you know how they like to have sex and stuff. Like <laughs> <that>. <laughs> um, um, yeah, and it it kind of follows it like in a journalistic fashion, going like day by day, and it's like one of those movies where like at first your sympathy lies with Gerard, and then as the movie. Uh, progresses you sympathize with the the love interest because Gerard's kind of like you know a shitty Romer guy archetype yeah. um, and there's I, just some real effective editing with it's just like like one of the best things about Romer is like he knows when to end a scene and there's a lot of that in this movie like a just a simple like shared kiss that just cuts away to a next next day title card and it's just you know really effective it's mm-hmm. the small stuff and some great you know convos you know, one thing I like about Romer is I see the guys in his movies, and I'm like, yo, that's like me. Yeah, that guy's that guy's that chill guy's as just fuck. Like <laughs> <me>. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, yeah, people like, yeah, they shit like they shit on him. It's just like those. I mean, yeah, they're bad, but like, yeah, they're, they're fine. Relax. Imagine a European art house movie where the protagonist, where the protagonist is a good person. Like they don't <laughs> exist. No, yeah, that's exactly. not the aim of that era, or even those filmmakers moving on later. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's yeah, it's why have good people in your movies? You know, maybe maybe make a documentary about them to celebrate yeah. them and stuff. <laughs> and Romare continues our tradition of loving conservative filmmakers. Oh yeah, yeah. love. He's a straight royalist. He wants yeah. the, he wants the he wants the kings and queens back. So he's trying to make that yaper. Yeah, yaper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I remember I re- I read a little bit of the Romer biography or whatever, and he was a. Uh, he was like an incel or something like that kind of or whatever. He he said he would uh he said like a lot of his romantic content was just hanging out from the actresses from his movies. I might be Yeah. I mean that checks out for like La Collection News. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> totally. It, it really yeah. I mean it it makes if you watch his movies you could like that yeah. makes sense. An yeah. Incel a weird, wrote this. like pervy layer to it of him just like watching it play out mm-hmm. but it's like it's one of the most like it's like a tasteful conser- I mean to paint him as a conservative filmmaker is like you know he's not like a Clint Eastwood. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but it, I mean yeah, he yeah. harkens back to like no uh, totally very like very traditional, um, and I think like he was pretty like technophobic like even mm-hmm. late in his life. No, totally, and like yeah, there's a couple movies by him where like I don't know if you've ever seen the Mark the Lady of O or the Marquis O or something no. like that. Yeah, if, for those fans of that movie, it is still a good movie, but the way that movie ends is uh. You know, I'll leave that one for the fans of that movie. <laughs> uh, JT, you want to come in clean with a number eight? Um, yeah, I'll come in clean. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess I'll come in clean. <laughs> um, for number eight, I am going to say "Watermelon Woman" uh, by Cheryl Dunye. 
Um, I one thing I just want to note: this is a good uh, film of Philly representation. It was uh, shot uh, there, I believe, and uh, I. It's been a hot minute since I've seen this flick, um, but I remember some Philly landmarks, and it's definitely one of my hallmark Philly classics, Ooh. right up there with Blowout. Um, Damn, that was only like fifteen years ago. <laughs> yeah, no, that yeah. was. I think it's, I think, what do you call it? The thing about that movie, it's going to be referenced in other movies. And uh, even, you know, even in places where you wouldn't ex- expect, like maybe like a fantasy or an action movie. Like or a like, superhero movie. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't know if those are going to ever be a thing. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, hey, with prestigious directors like Tim Burton taking the reins. That's true. That's true. Burton, you know, Mars Attacks, I enjoyed that from this year. So, um, <laughs> But yeah, to return to... Uh, Watermelon Woman. The first time I recall like hearing about it in film school, I think it was mainly promoted to me as like a film that like sort of poses as like a documentary, um, but is like winds up being like fiction, which like isn't exactly like how it's presented. I mean, there are like Talking Heads uh, style interviews where they like talk to um, some like scholars and things. Uh, Camille Paglia. Um, very Ooh. controversial figure yeah. uh, appears in the film uh, for a little bit. Um, but like, it's mostly just like standard uh, like little scenes in the life of like Cheryl Dunyer, like working at a video store um, and she's trying to find uh, this movie called the watermelon woman about this fictitious, like mammy type character and it sort of follows her just like tracing uh, that history and uh, discovering it. But then at the end, there's the reveal where it's like this never um, actually existed. And it's just like a really interesting riff on like all those uh, artists of color and like women uh, that were sort of like left out and their histories weren't as like obviously seen as vital at the time and just kind of forgotten. And I think it's a really admirable reclamation of that by doing this uh piece that like is focused on like a fictitious work but itself represents something very important nice that's a lovely encapsulation of a film i haven't seen me neither i want to see it though it didn't it like just recently in 2019 uh or recent to 2019 to get a physical home release or something like that um i'm not quite or at sure. least a new resto like i feel like it was it's a been hard, in the news it, it the was news. a hard to get a hold of a film for a minute i know yeah that's one of those things about 2019 that i'm still in 1996 about and i don't really know whether or not it's happening but <laughs> oh, i'll okay, take your good. word for it yeah we all have selective memory here on extended clip yeah uh so you know Actually, I'm going to seed my number seven because uh, I got something lined up for the spot after. So, Malcolm, you want to take number seven? All right. Yeah, sure. Um, Let's go with Crash by old uh, David Cronenberg. I mean, Cronenberg, great guy. I think we all share an affinity for Cronenberg. This is my favorite film of his yet. Yeah. I mean, I I still love Videodrome a lot, but I feel like this one with repeat viewings is going to shoot up the rankings. It's already pretty high. Um but you know what else is going to shoot off while watching this? Your freaking <laughs> Your water. My, my water, my Sprite. I'm going to spill my Sprite. All over the oh, shout out to the future Anthony Lane. You know, Anthony Lane actually just wrote a review of Before Sunrise that was super horned up like yes. a year ago. Yeah. That's sick. Anthony Lane's sick. Yeah. He's, he fucking rules. I, I hope he's still writing in 20 years when mm-hmm. it's all online. I had to... I, I <laughs> actually, speaking of reading Anthony Lane, I read, <laughs> I read a... 
uh, Anthony Lane review of um, E2 Mamo Tambien. Oh. And of course, of course, Anthony Lane has to comment on that yeah, one. Yeah, nothing, nothing too out of line, though, to be honest. But I was just like, I'm just happy he had, he got his two cents in on the movie. <laughs> I'm glad he saw it. But yeah, but that's that's O one. Um, Crash is great. I mean, it's it's one of the most like kind of uh, probably like one of the more pro sex Cronenbergs, I would say. Mm-hmm. Like very sexually adventurous and like kind of fun with that. Like it just has a lot of like. Like fun, like it's it's about a guy who has a you know a fetish for car crashes, and uh, I mean just like just the first scene of when he's with his you know girlfriend and he's you know crossing these sexual taboos. It's just it's just so interesting and it's a lot of fun and like it has just like this uh, this look to it that is just is just killer. And you know if you love a nice road movie, I mean this is this is one for you. This is like the a deconstructionist car lovers movie. It's like why do you really like Th- oh these God. driving movies so yeah. much it's like in 10 years when richard kelly who's in five years gonna break onto the scene uh <laughs> made that scene of those cars fucking each other in southland tales mm-hmm. it's like that for an hour and it's also like two years ago there was a T- takeshi katano film um called getting any mm-hmm. where it starts with him like the inciting incident is that the character needs to buy a car so that he can have sex in it Mm-hmm. so hey they're on the same wavelength masters you know across the globe <laughs> yeah and it has a great like 90s core cast like a 90s spader and uh deborah Kara unger holly hunter elias kateas rosanna arquette i mean holly hunter is phenomenal yes in crash and so is rosanna arquette but mm-hmm. holly hunter one of the most like dead cronenberg performances mm-hmm. but also so like you know blood boiling if you will Uh, (laughs) no it's incredible and like i think cronenberg's earlier works he's a very effective genre filmmaker uh and especially because of how good he is at just like pure gross out shit but i really you know i liked the subtext of those early movies more than the actual way they operated as Mm -hmm. genre films and then i feel like once he gets into the 90s he's transitioning his style to be more just full-on hypnotic and Mm -hmm. like the tone changes where they're supposed to be in or even like mood changes where they're supposed to be in genre films aren't quite there and he's just continuing to lull you into that cronenbergian rhythm the whole time and i think this is like the most hypnotic cronenberg that i've seen Mm -hmm. so definitely one of my favorites of the year as well Mm -hmm. um number six is girl six (laughs) the spike lee film now this this guy spike lee he's been making some important big movies yeah. as of late you know you got malcolm x you got yeah. do the right thing why did hey why did he force that white guy out of making malcolm x i'm still pretty mad about that <laughs> <laughs> norman jewison <laughs> hey he's a perfectly fine filmmaker no i saw that i saw that paul schrader recently shared on facebook paul schrader facebook watch everyone but uh, um that he liked malcolm x the movie or just, like shared an email over spike lee and i just noticed some old goober in the comments who was like i hung out with norman jewis and around that time when the movie got like stolen from him or something <laughs> like that and then like then i saw the books spike lee was reading before malcolm x or something and i knew it wasn't going to be a good movie or whatever so Damn, read your book <laughs> yeah you know read your book read the right books don't read the wrong books um and just hey just you know 
Maybe in the future, Norman Jewison will get to make his Malcolm X biopic. Who knows? <laughs> uh, but Girl 6 steps it back a few steps. Yeah. Uh, this is, you know, a lot of people have levied a criticism of misogyny against Spike Lee thus far. And, somewhat you know, fair. It, it's somewhat fair. I think he definitely has a immature and de- still developing sense of... Uh, what like feminism is actually mm-hmm. and like what he is to do versus yeah. what he's not to do yeah. <laughs> and he you know what maybe he'll figure that out with his um uh, the she's got to have it tv reboot that i think might happen in the future i don't know <laughs> years from now it'll <laughs> yeah, take him a while knows? it'll take a while <laughs> now uh spike lee's amazing and like the films he made from 96 to the current day are also pretty amazing for yeah. the most part uh, but Girl 6, he scales it down and he gets Susan Laurie Parks to write a screenplay. Uh, it might be based off her stage play as well because she she writes plays. But this is the first thing Spike has directed that has been written by a woman. And it fucking shows, obviously. Like, the way he directs performances still recalls that old Spike Lee style. And his camera work is incredible. But this is a film written by a woman. And I think that's really important for what it is because it's a film about sex work. You know, it's a film about a phone sex operator and, you know, Spike Lee himself plays like her friend. Yeah. Uh, the ally. And, yeah. It, he definitely, he lets himself off as a nice woke <laughs> ally in this movie, which I love. Yeah. Uh, he's also just like a uh, sports memorabilia hound, you know, mm-hmm. like that's, he loves that more than he loves pussy, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and like <laughs> Reggie Jackson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, there's also a cameo by uh, young director, Quentin Tarantino, who is fresh off his second film. Uh, I wonder what he's going to make with his third one. I hope it's something more calm and subdued than Pulp Fiction, you know? That's exactly what I'm thinking. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking for something that involves the malls of Torrance, California, you know? <laughs> if uh, only. But, but Quentin Tarantino gets a great fucking role in this. Because, yeah. like, he's just playing himself. And it's, I guess, when him and Spike were still, like, okay. Yeah. And then Spike basically portrays him a few years later as Rappaport and bamboozled essentially like (laughs) that's you know the connection you're made to draw uh and it's incredible uh Mm -hmm. what spike lee is able to get tarantino to do in this movie and then there's some amazing just like formal switch ups like there is in every spike movie he goes actually a format switch up uh there's some great scenes of her really just being harassed by her acting coach and it's like Mm kind of played for laughs and it's in this kind of outtake mode of editing where it's these jump cuts of them restarting the scene and it's pretty fucking like funny and like mm-hmm. loose and warm at the same mm-hmm. time you get that feeling of like harassment and like constant pressure from the outside world and you know the male world as it were mm-hmm. uh and i think it's one of spike's most sensitive works and i think the sound design is incredible mm-hmm. uh there's so much like layering of you know phone sex conversations the yeah. way spike you know navigates the office of all these workers on the phone like a telemarketing thing but what they're selling is not, you know, tickets to the Hollywood Bowl or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's fantastic, and I can't wait to keep watching my friend Spike Lee. <laughs> it's great. It's one of my favorite Spike Lees. It's super funny. Like it's a yeah. lot of the phone sex stuff is super funny. You get some great um, callers. Peter Berg being one of the big callers, and yeah. Michael Imperioli, I believe so <laughs> oh, as well. Shit. Yeah, of Goodfellas of, fame. Of Goodfellas yeah. fame, and nothing else. <laughs> yeah. else. You know, I feel like he could play a really good TV side character. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Me, hey, me too. And um, also, speaking on the cinematography, I mean, that was when Spike was working with... Uh, Ernest Dickerson? Nope. Uh, oh. Dick- Dickerson's directing at this point. Um, oh, okay, okay. It's Malik Hassan Saeed. Oh, shit. Who's, who's famous. Well, I mean, he's famous for being a cinematographer, but... Belly. He shot, he shot Belly. He shot Belly, oh, which, which is going to come out in three years. Yeah. And it's one of the best movies of the 90s. One of the best movies of the 90s. Or one, of all time. One of the best looking movies ever. Yeah, and, easily. And a little Gummo reference just for me in there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Dude, that shit is fucked up. <laughs> I think that's what they say about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh-oh. And like, uh, uh, what do you call it? The cinematography around this era is, I think... Yeah, he got game. Clockers has a crazy sheen. Oh my god, so, Clockers looks incredible. So yeah, Malik Hassan Saeed, um, who who didn't work, he didn't work in a movie until uh, Lemonade or whatever the Beyonce music videos after oh, Belly. Oh shit, damn. But uh, yeah, just a shout out to him because th- those movies look insane. Yeah. Uh, number five, JT, you want to hit it? Yeah, I'll hit this. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm gonna say uh, Schizopolis uh, by Steven Soderbergh. I uh, like this fella is doing a crazy thing. He's starring in his own movie. What does he think he is? Woody Allen? <laughs> um, Guilty. <laughs> um, but unlike uh, Woody Allen, uh, this portrayal in Schizopolis is a character very divorced from the real life Soderbergh. It's like a weird stylistic corporate satire sort of. I mean, the real reason I latched onto this is I think it's something very much so in the Repo Man vein of oh, like yeah. a very over the top, like uh, dystopian, like bland corporate world. Um, but it just works. Uh, like I'm very forgiving with that type of like formal experiment because I know I feel like a lot of people find that particularly grating yeah. about this film. Uh, but it all really connects with me. And I think it's just like really funny on top of that. It's very funny. The stuff in the bathroom rules. Every um, time he's in the bathroom, it's, you know, funny pee pee poo poo stuff. Oh, <laughs> I, I know it's uh, 1996 and I've just seen this movie, but it's also been a long time. It's felt like years since I've seen this movie. What is the, what, what is he pee pee poo poo in the bathroom? Doesn't he just like make funny noises while he's in the stall or something like that? And then he like yells while he's like going pee or something like that. He says, oh, funny yeah, stuff in the yeah, bathroom. yeah. Yeah. Freaks out his coworker in the bathroom. Uh, and then there's also the one segment where like everything is just non sequiturs, you know, kind of just like the dialogue, just one does not respond to the other. And yeah, there there are a lot of like formal structural things to this movie that seems just so freaking random. <laughs> uh, I do appreciate it because of how measured it is, in fact. And, you know, like if it was Soderbergh just going full freaking random, uh, I think it would be a lot more obnoxious. And like it's a film I wanted to like more than I actually liked. But uh, it's audacious for the soda man, and I think he's <laughs> going to keep experimenting and maybe make his best film in three years with the Limey. Maybe so. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, number four. Um, you want to keep the same order, Malcolm? You want to hit number four? Okay, yeah, sure. Um, let me just pull this up so I get the full title. It is uh, Don't Be a Menace to... This is this is really tall. Don't be a menace to <laughs> South Central while drinking your juice in the hood. To South Central is kind of. I the, always thought it was in South yeah, Central. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah don't damn. don't be a menace to South Central. Well, this this movie is really funny. Yeah. This movie has, out of all the Wayans Brothers movies, this is probably my favorite. I don't think that's a controversial thing to say. I think this is probably Not particularly. I think this is. 
maybe scary movie is people have nostalgia for that but this is probably for the money my favorite because it is like you look at the quote-unquote hood movies at the time boys in the hood menace to society um the common critique amongst you know certain individuals was that it's they were a little too moralizing they were a little too uh wag of the finger or whatever and you know some people argue the opposite of that too that you know that was a good thing i I don't know but don't be a menace really is kind of a response to like kind of you know it's other things too of course it's more funny than anything but it's a like a pretty you know funny response to kind of the moral moralizing nature of those movies as much as i do enjoy those movies but um i mean just some funny shit in here like i love the gag that um the male protagonist is uh father is the same age as him it's pretty yeah. funny and uh <laughs> you know I'll suck your dick for a bag of cheeseburgers <laughs> come on man you know <laughs> um we are allowed to do voices <laughs> yeah well i'm just i he that's yeah in the movie i mean that guy <laughs> that joking. guy that guy was making a voice i'm sure he doesn't sound like that i know i know <laughs> um yeah, Wayans and some of In Loving Color is pretty funny too. If you go back to that, oh yeah, In Loving Color has some incredible sketches. I mm-hmm. mean, the early Jamie stuff. Mm-hmm. Jamie is one of the all Jamie Fox that is one of the all time mugging guys. Like <laughs> yeah, him true. doing the mugging. If you guys watch the uh, the slow jams video, oh yeah, uh, he is doing some all timer mugging he's like not even like he got a feature on that song he doesn't he just he, has he the just intro intros. he's just the yeah. intro because i used to think it was he was saying john legend's part in the song or whatever oh yeah before i you know could differentiate artists or yeah, whatever yeah. but um yeah he he really jamie fox is pretty cool he's a pretty good guy he has he's got I songs hope he's a good guy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's got songs he could act he was in miami vice oh the yeah. movie you know, in 2006. And uh, then he made that song, uh, Blame It on the Alcohol. You know, Blame It on the a- <laughs> That one? I don't oh, I know it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's sick. That's a sick career he's, you know, threading together for himself. Yeah, I think he's a good guy. Um, <laughs> Does it, is he, <laughs> did he do something bad? I don't know. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, number three. Oh, you know what? In Blame It, you know what the best thing he ever did was? Was fucking hire Ron Howard to be an actor in the Blame It on the Alcohol video. <laughs> that is one of the greatest performances of all time. <laughs> it's Ron Howard stepping out the whip. <laughs> Ron Howard going back to his roots as an actor. Have yeah. you seen that? Yeah, okay, yeah. I just yeah, remember yeah, that. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, the number three. Three film of the year. My number one, as it were, is The God of Cookery. We're getting funny. Oh yeah, the slapstick comedy uh, slash food movie by Stephen Chow. Now Stephen Chow, he's he's a funny little fellow from Hong Kong. He's been <laughs> some of these Hong Kong movies lately have been insane. Have you been seeing these things? No, I've been only watching American and European movies. Oh, <laughs> okay. yeah, same. See, I've been yeah. at, uh, I've been I've been at the the uh the times square uh chinese theater uh is i think that's where people used to watch them is times square that's what the guy at the new bad boy says yeah man i used to always watch these hong kong movies at time in times square i'm like what times square new yorkers call me out yeah yeah. just on the big billboard advertising (laughs) yeah Yeah. Um, but yeah, the 90s, especially like this is the last year before the handover, you know, and the 90s have been an incredible decade for Hong Kong cinema. And the fact that I only have one Hong Kong film on my list is kind of giving it short change. But mm-hmm. uh, The God of Cookery 
is Stephen Chow as a brilliant chef who sits in uh, the judgment of those who would challenge his title and loses his title when a jealous chef reveals him to be a con man and humiliates him publicly. So this is a guy who has it all, gets knocked down, and has to work his way back up. And, you know, the Stephen Chow underdog stories, he's already kind of made a lane for himself in this wheelhouse. And he's aping a little bit of the style from Iron Chef. I don't know. Do you guys ever watch the freaking Japanese channel now that we're in 1996? I've watched there's, some Iron Chef. Yeah, there, there's a little, there's a show on there called Iron Chef. And uh, he, he's been, he's been doing a little spoof of that in the movie. There's some good stuff like that. And uh, there's just like some funny food humor and great like food photography and really inventive uh, camera work for comedy. You know, Chow is using the movement of the camera and the cutting to get the biggest gag or the biggest laugh rather possible through his gags. There's one amazing gag where Stephen Chow's character is, and by the way, Stephen Chow plays a character named Stephen Chow, which is great. Very convenient for English speakers. Uh, <laughs> unless the subtitles that I watched were just like <laughs> yeah. by a lazy racist. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but he is waiting for, uh, like, he's doing a launch for his new instant ramen line, and he's doing, like, a press release for it, you know? And he is fantasizing because someone said, like, a fan is going to come meet you. And he's just thinking, like, what if it's a hot girl? Oh, my and, God. Like, so he's The fan- best type of fan. Yeah. Yes. So he's thinking about this girl that he met once and, like, the all the cute twee ways to run into her on the street and say oh what a coincidence and it's like <laughs> the most overly cute bullshit ever it's the funniest thing i don't know yeah. it's like so over the top the music is so funny and he's like standing in front of a soda machine that has a smiley emoticon on it uh <laughs> which in 1996 is beautiful you know yeah. futuristic web humor uh so then he snaps out of his fantasy when you just see Look, folks, it's Hong Kong cinema. There's going to be some crude humor in here. You see a large man in a dress, in a schoolgirl dress, <laughs> with his finger in his nose, <laughs> looking right down the barrel of a camera uh, from Chow's POV, and just starts skipping towards him <laughs> like a schoolgirl. And Chow fucking roundhouse kicks. <laughs> And he goes flying like through <laughs> off screen, like fifteen feet, and it's literally a top five visual gag of all time. Like that sounds it's, great. Holy it's shit. incredible, and it's very mean. And yeah. it's I don't give a shit because it's one of the best uh, things ever put to film, in my opinion. Yeah, Chow is someone I need to check out because, by all accounts, what I've heard of him sounds right up my alley. Yeah, uh, you know, for the future heads out there living in 2019, <laughs> The God of Cookery is on YouTube, and oh. like, there's no real HD version of that. And most of Chow's early work, if you find HD, it's like re-censored by a Chinese government. Mm. Uh, so you should just get the old DVDs Damn. that aren't censored, obviously. Little torrent tip. Yeah, a little torrent tip for my future heads yeah. up. <laughs> uh, what about number two, JT? Um, number two, I'm going to say, look, comedies are great, <laughs> but I'm going to return to a film that you passed up at the box office, Breaking the Waves uh, by <laughs> Lars von Trier. I walked out of this one. Whoa. And, uh, by that I mean in like 2017, I turned it off on Hulu after 10 minutes. You, and, you rewrote the narrative. And look, I know what this guy is doing and is going to stick to for the rest of his career. Dogma 95. I know it's like that 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 stuff seems a little crazy. Why limit yourself with the potential of cinema? But I think, and I mean, even this doesn't really adhere to it. There mm-hmm. are a lot of like, um, you've seen this Malcolm. Yeah. So 
make me feel like I'm not wrong about this. <laughs> um, but you're, you're on the right track. You're right. Uh, there's uh, uh, like the title cards have mm-hmm. like rock music. They do set to them, uh, which are kind of nice. Like, Very picturesque. Yeah, uh, shots, and that's I think one instance where he breaks it. I I mean they break it all the time. No, I don't think there ever was like a true like Dogma ninety five like true dictum to their form. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what one thing a lot of people are going to complain about uh, Von Trier here for is like his very cynical, like ironic, kind of Joker esque um, sort of persona. You that- mean Jack Nicholson? <laughs> yeah, chewing <laughs> yeah, cigar type humor. <laughs> yeah, he's like a real trickster, kind of a uh, provocateur, and uh, he like I think it's really tempered here by like. If you're not familiar with his story, it's um, about a young woman who's married mm-hmm. on like a Scottish village town that's like pretty strictly religious, hasn't had a whole lot of contact uh, with the outside world. Uh, Bess, played by Emily Watson, uh, gets married to Stellan Skarsgård, and uh, he is like working on like an oil rig. And uh, that like their marriage is blossoming. They're very much so in love. It's going great until he winds up in a big accident and uh, he is like paralyzed and they think he's going to die for a little bit and he can't blow that pussy out um, (laughs) anymore. (laughs) Um, And that's I think very early on they show like the importance of the intimacy of that connection and like their physical relationship and he encourages her to just like get fucking railed all about town Mm -hmm. and just like have a bunch of sex to fulfill that and like to it's like kind of manipulative on his angle because it's like he is kind of getting like he's like saying it for her own good but like just because she's so naive and like sexually inexperienced uh in that respect it's like definitely like manipulative and taking advantage of her and then just also like she she has like conversations with god um where she i think believes the lord is telling her that this is the right thing to do as well and i feel like where in a later von trier film he would be like he's definitely like critical of that type of mm-hmm. like small world like thinking and saying that like her relationship and connection to God is very naive and foolish and ultimately like winds up hurting her a lot. But because of the way it's told in the dogma 95 style of like a very stripped down and like intimate, it's so much more personal and like connected in that respect. Like you get like sort of the ironic distance from it, but you also feel like the great deal of suffering that happens throughout the entire flick. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree with that entirely. I think, yeah, people's main critique of this movie is that the main character, she's dumb or whatever. I hear that, like, a lot. Yeah. And, um, you know, maybe maybe she is. But he's fucking dumb, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, honestly, I mean, it's you know, women can be dumb, too, you know? Yeah. Not I mean, a- I love dumb guy <laughs> movies. Yeah, so, exactly. So, like, why not a dumb and, woman movie? And, you know, although this, I wouldn't call it a dumb woman movie either. Just, <laughs> like, the way you could enjoy a dumb guy movie. I don't know if it's necessary. I mean, dumb guy like movie a is like film. a dumb guy <laughs> <Yeah>. protagonist. It's <laughs> not a movie for dumb guys. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, true. All right. I get what you mean. Um, But, yeah, I think... Also, Lars von Trier is totally a dumb guy director. Come yeah, on. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, he thought that's. I think that's what irks people. He's allowed about him. to be great. I don't care. Yeah, that's, not, yeah. that's not saying he's not great. Yeah. Like I, I don't, haven't watched enough to experience mm-hmm. that. But I think that's what kind of irks people about him is that he has an air of intellectual about Elism about him, and some people, um, you know, want to see through that or whatever. But I don't know. I think it's a very stylistically, you know, rich film, and like the. I mean, I think Dogma 95 in retrospect's kind of gotten shat on in mm-hmm. s- certain circles. And I mean, maybe it wasn't the best, but I don't know. Just, you know, just try it out. Just one or two movies might be good. You know what I mean? Like, it's just. I might do it. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I, I'm saying that as a fan of Gomo and like, you know, what do you call it? That's It's not Dogma 95. Yeah strictly but it's obviously inspired by yeah, like that yeah. and movement. i like those corinne films yeah you know i like that and trash humpers mm-hmm. humpers um, <laughs> <laughs> um that would be insane if they released a movie about humping trash yeah talk shit. about random this shit would be messed up um but yeah Her- von trier well i was gonna say von trier innocent i don't know what he's done oh uh, no definitely no. not no, no definitely not, not. there's definitely like not he is innocent. culpable culpable <laughs> either he's either the innocent. one who literally prompted uh walked out vile movie actors culpable he's the one who prompted that yeah. so yeah he's not innocent he's yeah he's culpable i just i i i, I yeah I'm sorry. Sometimes the work really transcends the man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey, this is a transcendent movie. So, and you know what else is a transcendent movie? Yeah, our number one film of the year. Yeah, our collective favorite. Help, d- drum roll, please. <laughs> uh, it's Happy Gilmore. <laughs> Hell yeah! Nice. Uh, directed by Dennis Dugan. One of our faves. I mean, he's coming off fresh of this hot children's movie, uh, Problem Child. That is true, yeah. And, you know, to flash it forward to 2019, this is kind of like the uh, the epilogue to our Sandler miniseries, true, you huh? know? This is our, you know, de-stressing, de, you know, decompressing, you know, just smoking cigars in the lounge like Sandler <laughs> would be, just chopping it up over... A Sandler classic, one you know maybe maybe his most universally loved movie. Yeah, I just watched this for the first time this week, mm-hmm. actually. Um, and, oh, you went to the theater? Uh, yeah, <laughs> in 1996 and in 2019, I watched this uh, with my roommate while we were doing uh, some Sandler stuff, and uh, yeah, I loved it. It's a, a it's stone great. cold classic. Yeah, I love it as like a sports movie head and a mm-hmm. sports head and a sandler head mm-hmm. and a dugan head yeah it just all comes together it's True. one of my very favorite adam sandler movies it was my favorite growing up mm-hmm. for sure like yeah. it was probably my favorite movie for a little bit at the same time where like bad news bears and ferris bueller mm-hmm. probably rounded out my top three uh but those movies have aged in a way that this one hasn't you know mm-hmm. dugan has that classic style we've talked about it so much on this podcast but it, the the tone that he's able to get out of sandler and company on this and on several others that he's worked on is so relaxed while the jokes themselves are so manic and wild Mm -hmm. and you know the premise of this movie is kind of dumb it's like hey look how shitty golf is like a fucking hockey player could come in and own all of them because he's strong but that's that's honestly like a great like it's it's a great it's a great great it's a great premise like what what sports movie is like presupposes the entire sport is you know, not worthy. There's not many. <laughs> I mean, there's probably a bowling movie like that, but that's weak. That's probably. Easy. I mean, Kingpin did come out. Kingpin, this year. true, true. I feel like those guys will make better, grosser movies. Yeah, that's true. There's some. I right. Just sorry to shout out Kingpin, but yeah, when he, go when for he, it. The part when he's in Amish country and he drinks the cum. 
Mm. Hilarious. One of the best Farrelly bits. <laughs> he drank. He drank the cum. He did drink <laughs> the cum. You can't. You can't. You can't. My drink. man drank the cum. You can't drink the cum. <laughs> you can't be doing that. <laughs> My man drank the cum. <laughs> Uh, so Happy Gilmore, uh, he's a golfer, uh, because his grandma's gonna get kicked out of her house. So the way to get money for it, uh, to buy back the house is to stop doing Hulk hockey and become golf, and uh, just freaking own all of the nerds. And it is a classic yeah. slobs versus snobs. You know, mm-hmm. golf is a famously elitist and racist game. You know, there are mm-hmm. so many country clubs that are used on the PGA tour now that are still whites only technically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like they had to make exceptions when people like Tiger Woods started playing on the tour. It's insane. Yeah. Uh, and I think we actually talked about this on a prior episode when I recently rewatched happy Gilmore. Uh, but it is kind of a weird timeline thing with the rise of this young athlete, Tiger Woods, who's coming out <laughs> of the woodwork. I hope he never does anything. wrong. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the things he did wrong aren't, aren't even that bad in retrospect. I mean, look, the guy, and I can see like, like, uh, I can see eight years into the future right now. And this guy is on track to break the record for most uh, majors won in like by 2010. If nothing yeah, yeah, goes yeah. horribly, <laughs> career derailingly True, wrong. Yeah, as long as he's he can... on pace to break the record by 2010. It's easy. It's easy. Stay focused, you know, go to bed early. He'll, or 20, 2008, he'll have like 15 or so masters mm-hmm. or majors. And uh, it's easy from there. Nothing's going to happen. <laughs> Uh, but Happy Gilmore lasted longer than Tiger Woods in all of our hearts. Damn. I was going to say, this is one of his more angrier movies. Yeah, no, it's like whenever he's not yelling, he's just like, you know, fucking Happy Gilmore. He's just chilling. Mm-hmm. But then he on a dime, just fucking <laughs> rage mode. You fuck uh, with me? You know? Yeah, Turn me into something you don't like want to see. Because it's relatable. <laughs> yeah. Hey, don't fuck with us. Uh, any other thoughts on Happy Gilmore? Um, Happy Madison. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude, you know what I'm can't wait for the freaking new star wars (laughs) i can't wait for star wars i remember seeing it back in theaters in the 70s when i was a kid and it really (laughs) changed my perception on what movies could be i thought they were just about people but they could be in space and they could be about critters you know (laughs) personally i'm terrified about what's going to happen at home in a few years really y2k man that's you know when all these these newfangled computers were so quick to go to digital i've been getting ready my bunker for when this all goes to shit and the banks drop off and no i was gonna say i mean i'm concerned for the future too you see this fucking this bozo billionaire, you know, who owns this hotel chain, I'm afraid he might gain some power in the future and uh, just become a f- farking mess, dude. Oh, you mean that freaking racist landlord? That's how I know him. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, who knows? He might get a platform on yeah. a TV Cheeto show hands. one day. Yeah. I think he, I think he's Putin's lover. I don't know. I don't know what's telling me, but I think he's, you know, this who? Putin. <laughs> <laughs> Putin. I think ask ask Bill about that. Bill Clinton. Is I he think. like uh, Soviet? <laughs> I'm like four years late on that news. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're also all like one year, one or two years old. Yeah, <laughs> and the Soviet Union just collapsed. Yeah, damn. I'm crying. Damn, Reagan. Reagan gave that fire speech after the wall dropped. <laughs> he fucking killed that shit. I can't believe my comrades have given up. Yeah. Hey, tear tear down that wall. 
But at least the new communist state in China, including Hong Kong, will prosper. True, and yeah. the film industry in Hong Kong won't get any worse at all. It'll probably get better, right? Mm-hmm, exactly. It'll yeah. probably get better, and the 2000s Hong Kong cinema will be even better than the <laughs> 90s. I can't wait for... I can't um, wait for Jackie Chan to just like really continue his progress. Yeah, I wonder where his career will go. Yeah, I think it'll go good places. Let's hop back in the <laughs> yeah. time machine. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, we're back. Back in 2019. Well, that was a very fun episode, but I am jet lagged. Yeah, I don't remember what happened. Oh, in '96, oh it was rough, dude. You said some stuff, but I think oh. the <laughs> oh, I think no. the time travel will self censor. Okay, good. Yeah, because like, look, we're not proud of our actions. People do stuff, and they can learn, and they can grow. <laughs> that was the past. <laughs> yeah. That was. I mean, look, that was 1996. Are you really going to yeah. judge me by those standards? People were a lot more forgiving in the '90s. Yeah. <laughs> Um. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> bye. Yeah. Bye. Wait a minute. 1997, a memorable year.